What's up, City Light? All right, all right. Good to see you guys. Uh, as Eric said, my name is Doug, and I really hope that you get to text or call your mom today, or better yet, maybe you're sitting next to her right now. If so, give her a hug or a high five, smooch on the cheek, whatever she prefers. Man, my mom is 600 miles away today, so, or it's more like I'm 600 miles away from her, so I'll have to settle for a phone call But what I would really love is one of those mom hugs. I know I'm a grown man. I got kids of my own, but I still love just getting a hug from my mom. Like there's a difference between knowing that my mom exists and she loves me from some 600 miles away and actually getting to experience her hug. And so that got me kind of thinking about just the general difference between knowing something and feeling something. Like the difference between knowing that something or someone exists and actually getting to experience it myself personally. For example, recently I saw a video on Facebook. And in this video, a boyfriend and a girlfriend are in this slingshot bubble bungee ride. Have you seen these? They like pull it down and then boom, you like shoot into the sky. Well, they get in there, they get strapped in, and the boyfriend's like all cool and tough and all that sort of stuff. Well, they pull the bungee down, and they're about to release it, and all of a sudden, he's not so cool or tough anymore. He kind of starts going, oh my, what's going to happen? I want to get out of here. Well, it's too late. He's already strapped in. They're ready to go. So the operator releases the bungee, and they shoot into the night sky, and the whole way up, he is crying for his mama. (laughs) And then he passes out. And then he comes back, and he's crying for his mama, and then he passes out. The whole time, his girlfriend's just laughing, having fun. She's enjoying the moment while he is crying for mama. Now, watching that video can give you a sense of what it might be like if you were the one in the slingshot, bungee, bubble sort of thing. Well, this might surprise you, but I've been in one of those. Like, I've actually ridden one of those rides. It was... Years ago, probably before they were actually safe, um, and I rode it with my big brother. It was called the Texas Blast Off, and I still remember getting in there, like getting strapped in. They pull you down tight, and I look out, and there's grandma and dad and, of course, mom watching her two sons about to be shot into the sky, and I'm trying to play it cool. I'm trying to be tough because I'm with my big brother and I want him to be proud of me, right? And he's kind of always been the daredevil and I was a scaredy cat and I'm like, oh, I got this. But inside, I was freaking out. You know, I was worried, am I going to survive? Do these seatbelts actually work? Will I throw up on everybody? What's going to happen here? So we're stretched down tight, and then without warning, the operator just releases us and we blast off into the Texas sky and guess what? I loved it. It was awesome. I didn't pass out. I actually felt safe and peaceful and calm, yet at the same time, I felt like energized and excited and thrilled, and I didn't even cry for my mom or anything. It was awesome. You know, watching a video of that happening, it can give you an idea of what it might be like for you, but when you're the one actually in there, you get the full experience. You could read a book written by that boyfriend where he confesses to crying for mama before he passes out, but it wouldn't quite be the same as you yourself being strapped in. There's a difference between knowing something 
and feeling something. The difference between knowing that that thing exists, the difference between watching it and actually going through it yourself. And that difference, it really matters. Just think about this. How many of you guys look forward to going to that packed out restaurant after the gathering this morning, sitting there forever, and then you get to read the menu, learn all the facts about the food they offer, but then you can't actually taste it or experience it? No one wants that. Menus aren't there to educate us on the ingredients of food. Menus are there to whet our appetites so that we get hungry and actually experience it. We weren't created to merely know facts. We were created to experience. God made us that way. And what is true for bungee rides and menus at restaurants is also true for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The past five weeks, as a church, we've kind of been tracking through this little letter to the back of our Bibles called Galatians. And we've summed up Galatians, we've summed up the gospel this way. We say it, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We ourselves, we can't jump through God's hoop or climb the ladder high enough or hold on tight enough to earn our way or perform our way into God's good graces. The only way for us to be right with God, the only way for us to be justified is for us to put our faith in Jesus, Jesus did jump through God's hoops. Jesus did climb the ladder high enough and held on tight enough. We can't, but he can. We failed, but he succeeded. Therefore, we put our faith in him and only in him. That's the message of Galatians so far, and it's absolutely true. But today we're going to see, kind of at the tail end of chapter 3, that Paul, the guy who wrote this book of the Bible, Paul kind of shifts, and he wants to help us see how this truth, this, um, these facts, all this unchanging, inerrant, eternal gospel truth, he wants to help us see how that feels. God doesn't want us just to know the truths of the gospel. He wants us to feel the truths of the gospel. And so Paul's going to write, and he's going to build out for us two metaphors, two descriptions of what the gospel feels like. And we'll pick up the first one in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. Let's read it again. Track with me. Whoa, my Bible just went crazy. Here we go. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Here's what Paul is trying to say. The gospel feels like a family with no favorites. A family with no favorites. Back in Galatia, there were these super spiritual, um, lofty, religious, hyper-religious like um, people who thought they were God's favorites because they could trace their family tree back to this guy named Abraham. 
Abraham's kind of the hero of the faith, the father of the faith. Everyone else, they thought, were kind of these second-class JV family members, but they were the super spiritual. They were the favorites who therefore got to boss all around all of the other siblings. They thought they were God's favorite because Abraham was their great-grandpa ten generations removed. But look at verse 29. Paul says, actually, if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring. He opens the gates wide. Anyone and everyone is welcome into this family of faith by putting their trust in Jesus. Paul levels the playing field. He lowers those lofty, super spiritual, older siblings. He lowers them down and cuts out their pride. And he does so using this picture of baptism in verse 27. He's saying that baptism is this picture of how we begin in the family of Jesus, how we're birthed into the family of Jesus. And if you've ever seen a baptism, it starts with someone going under the water. And them going under the water, it's a picture of them dying with Jesus, right? The old us is dead. It's gone. We really bring nothing to this relationship. What got us into this relationship isn't something that we did or we tried. No, we started this by dying with Jesus. You might think of it like this. Baker Mayfield didn't get into the Cleveland Browns, or no, none of us, sorry, I butchered that. None of us get into the family of Jesus like Baker Mayfield gets onto the Cleveland Browns. Does that make better sense? Baker Mayfield had to win games and produce stats and work hard to be accepted into the Cleveland Browns family. Now, I know it doesn't take much to get on the Cleveland Browns anymore, but you could imagine if it did. Or you might think um, none of us get into the family of Jesus like Joanna Gaines got into the HGTV family of shows. Joanna Gaines has these like absolutely cute, perfectly behaved children and a husband who's kind of funny, always happy, and just goofy enough for primetime television. And oh yeah, she's really good at design too. Joanna Gaines earned her way into the HGTV family of shows. But that's not how it is for us. None of us enter the family of Jesus that way. Instead, and I know this kind of sounds crazy, we enter the family of Jesus by dying with Jesus. That's why when someone gets baptized, the first part is them going under the water, symbolizing their death to themselves. We enter the family by dying to ourselves, essentially saying we got nothing to bring to the table. Now, practically speaking, for our church and our city groups, this just means we got nothing to brag about. There are no favorites. Jesus doesn't prefer me because I prayed more prayers or obeyed more rules. Jesus doesn't favor you because you got nicer hair or a higher score on the ACT. We bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer, and there are no favorites. In the family of Jesus, we are all equal at the foot of the cross with our knees to the ground and our faces bowed saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you did for me. I brought nothing to the table and got nothing to offer. Thank you, Jesus. But here's here's the flip side. Even though we bring nothing to the table, we still get everything. And every family member in Jesus' family gets everything. Like, we all get all of Jesus. Look at verse 26 again with me. Let me explain this. 
Verse 26 in chapter 3 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, at first glance, some of you ladies might be like, I'm not so cool with that. Sons? We're all sons? Like what happened to daughters? I, I thought this was a family with no favorites. Here's the beautiful thing. When Paul writes that in Christ Jesus we are all sons of God, he isn't excluding or suppressing women. In fact, he's bringing them into equal status, equal privilege, equal favor. In the time that Galatians was written, in that world, sons in a family, they got all of the inheritance. Like, someone could have six daughters and one son, and that one son would be the only one who gets the inheritance, and he would get all of the inheritance. Sons got all the power. Sons got all the privilege. Sons got all the inheritance. And daughters, well, hopefully they got married. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how it was in that world. And into that world, Paul writes to both men and women saying that in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Women, you get the full rights and privileges and inheritance of a firstborn son. Women, you are not second rate. You are not neglected or forgotten or pushed away by God. In Christ, you are celebrated, enjoyed, empowered, and accepted. You are not second rate. You get the same inheritance, the same Holy Spirit, and the same Jesus as any man. We all get all of Jesus. Verse 28 takes it so far as to say that our cultural differences, they don't determine our value to God. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Our economic differences, they don't determine our value to God. There is neither slave nor free. And our gender differences don't determine our value before God. There is no male or female. Instead, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that differences don't exist or that those differences don't matter. It just means that those differences don't determine our access to God or how he sees us. The gospel feels like a family with no favorites. Have you ever been around one of those families? My guess is many of us come from broken families. Right, Maybe in your family, the boys were favored over the girls, or the youngest got all the special treatment while the oldest had to do extra chores, or you were left out somehow. Or maybe you were like that golden child, you were that daughter who could make no mistakes. Many of us come from broken families. But I would also guess that many of us, we've watched a family. There's a family that could come to your mind right now that you wish you could have been part of their family. Maybe you creeped them on Facebook, or you just wish that you could, you just watch them from a distance. You wanted to sit down at their dinner table and just be loved, be accepted, be yourself, and still be okay. That's the kind of family that the gospel feels like. And really, City Light, I know we're not perfect. 
we're, we is making us, but I really feel like in this area, we have a lot to celebrate. God is making us into a family with no favorites. Just this last week, my friend Kelsey was sharing her story with some folks in our church. Kelsey grew up in a Christian home. In fact, her dad was a pastor. And so they would read their Bibles, pray together, go to church, do all that good stuff. And Kelsey would be right in the middle of it. But when Kelsey went to college, she just kind of drifted away from following Jesus. And after she graduated, she moved down to Honduras to teach school down there for a little while. She meets a man, they start dating, and pretty soon she's pregnant. And at first when she gets pregnant, she's in denial about the whole thing. This, this can't be happening. And she knows she has to tell her mom and dad. But she dreads having to tell them what will they say, what will they do, how will they respond Kelsey writes about telling her parents like this. She says, the moment I told my parents over Skype that I was pregnant was the lowest I had ever felt and the furthest from God. And in that same moment, I experienced the greatest grace when my mom in tears responded, you know we love you, right? When Kelsey was at her worst, is when she discovered her family at its best. Her mom and dad accepted her with love. So after a little while, Kelsey moves back to the States. She moves back to Iowa, where she grew up, and her hope was to find a church family who would love her like her biological family. Sadly, that didn't go quite as smoothly. She would go to a church with her son, and get judgmental or rude looks because she had a son and there was no ring on her finger. Her son, one time, was even turned away and not permitted into a children's ministry. Sadly, I mean, she was, she was rejected. Um, but then she came to City Light, and I'm honored to say, I feel so privileged to say, that from the moment she walked up, Kelsey said she felt loved and accepted and she said that her son was celebrated. There were ladies in our church who built friendships and relationships with her and treated her like the daughter of God, the, the son daughter of God that she is. She got into a city group and she found a spiritual family who loved her like her biological family. Kelsey discovered a family with no favorites. And now Kelsey teaches our children. She's actually teaching our children right now. She's down teaching our children about the same grace that she discovered earlier in life, pointing them to the same Jesus, the same family that they can be a part of. Kelsey discovered a family with no favorites, a family where we all get, man, we bring nothing to the table, and yet we get everything in Christ. We all get all of Jesus. What does the gospel feel like? First thing it feels like is a family with no favorites. But there's another thing that Paul wants to highlight, and that's in chapter 4. Another metaphor for what the gospel feels like. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, pause right there. Don't go any further. All of that is true. 
It is absolutely rock-solid truth, inerrant, unchanging gospel. It is true. But here's our question. What does that feel like? Look at the backside of verse 5 and verse 6. All of that happened so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. City Light, the gospel feels like a loving father. It feels like a father who loves you. Just let that sink in a little bit. The gospel feels like a father who loves you. Not just the fact of a father, that he exists, not the threats of a father, that he might be disappointed in you, not even the hope of a father, that maybe one day he'll notice you. The gospel feels like the assured, confident, always there for you, never going to leave you, love of a father. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, but is that okay if I talk a little bit about being a dad? Is that all right? So my wife and I have five children, ranging in age from 12 all the way down to one. And when any of my children say, Dad, my world can stop in an instant. You know what I'm talking about, dads? Like they say, Dad, and you're like, yes, I want to be there. I want to be in their world. And our youngest right now, his name's Josiah. He's one year old, and he's just starting to say words. He'll say bug or bird and then point them out to us, clearly indicating that we need to get the bugs out of our house. Great idea, Josiah. He'll say woof and point to our dogs. Or he always says mom or mama. Okay, I love you mamas, but he says mom all the time. And he's just now starting to say dad. He says dad. He doesn't put the D on at the end, right? He's a baby. He mispronounces it. It's kind of baby talk. Dad. And I love it when he says dad. And so throughout the day, probably three, four, five times a day, I'm like, Josiah, will you say dad? Most of the time he won't like respond. And I'm like, no, come on. It just thrills my heart to hear my son say dad. And when Josiah says dad to me, that's the same thing as me saying Abba to God. Abba is a baby word. Like if a little Jewish boy was in a room and his dad is across the room and he sees his dad and he runs to his dad with his arms open wide, ready to be scooped up, that little Jewish boy would be saying, Abba, Abba, Dad, Dad. And when we believe the gospel... When we acknowledge that, yes, we were enslaved in our sin, we were slaves to our sin, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, at just the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he could redeem us, forgive us from our sin. When we believe the gospel, God sends his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, to live inside of us so that we can say, Abba, Abba, Dad, Dad. God is no longer a distant deity who we have to try to make happy or appease. God is not just up in heaven sitting on a throne and you dare not bother him because he has more important things to do with his time. God is not a mad dad who gets annoyed by his kids always pestering him. God is Abba. 
God is dada. The gospel feels like a loving father. And yet, it goes deeper than that. In Galatians 4 verse 6, it says that the spirit of the son is in us crying. That word cry there isn't a cute chit-chat word. It's not cute like my son Josiah. It's actually more a, a, a deep, guttural scream. It's something that longs or aches or even hurts to be heard. Russell Moore is an author and a pastor. He wrote an incredible book on adoption, and I think he captures the power of this word best. This is a lengthy quote, but stick with me. I think it's going to help us understand what's going on here. He writes this, The creepiest sound I have ever heard was nothing at all. My wife Maria and I stood in the hallway of an orphanage somewhere in the former Soviet Union on the first of two trips required for our petition to adopt. Orphanage staff led us down a hallway to greet the two one-year-olds we hoped would become our sons. The horror wasn't the squalor and the stench, although we at times stifled the urge to vomit and weep. The horror was the quiet of it all. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. And any of you who volunteer in City Light Kids know that's not how it goes when you get a bunch of kids in a room. You get a bunch of kids and babies in a room, it's loud. It's supposed to be loud. Moore continues saying this, These children did not cry because infants eventually learn to stop crying if no one ever responds to their calls for food, for comfort, for love. No one ever responded to these children, so they stopped. The silence continued as we entered our boy's room. Neither boy made a sound. We read them books filled with words they couldn't understand about saying goodnight to the moon and cows jumping over the same. But there were no cries, no squeals, no groans. Every day we left at the same appointed time in the same way we had entered in silence. Until the last day of that trip. We had to tell the boys goodbye, as by law we had to return to the United States and wait for their legal paperwork to be completed before returning to pick them up for good. After hugging and kissing them, we walked out into the quiet hallway as Maria shook with tears. And that's when we heard the scream. Little Maxim, one of their boys, fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It was the most beautiful sound I have ever heard heard. Not because of his agony, not because of his sense of abandonment, but because in that scream, he recognized us as his parents. He knew that we would hear. City Light, the gospel feels like your heart crying for a father and being heard. The gospel feels like a dad rushing to meet you and scoop you up into his arms, kiss you on the face and tell you it's okay. The gospel feels like you believing for the first time that your cry will be heard. Your cry won't fall on deaf ears or hit the ceiling wall, but your cry will be heard. Your heart will be loved and your father will respond. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that the truth of the gospel serves this experience of the gospel. 
Jesus redeemed those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might cry from our guts for a daddy to love us. So that we might find that our father does indeed hear, isn't love us and respond to us. Get this, Jesus plus nothing isn't merely spiritual math. The gospel isn't just an idea or a theory. The gospel is eternal and abiding truth that serves. It leads us into, it wants us to experience and feel the love of the Father. And so I have to ask, do you believe the gospel? Do you feel the gospel? Some of you have a cry in your heart, a longing in your soul that your dad missed. He didn't hear it, or he heard it and he pushed it away. He neglected or rejected it, and so you've learned the art of silence. You've learned how to put on a mask and get through the day and do good. You've learned the art of isolation, of keeping some distance between you and everybody else to where they think you're doing okay, but you know you're not. You've learned the art of not crying. And the last person you would ever want to bother is God Almighty himself. But please hear this. Lean in and listen in. God wants to be bothered. Or To state it more according to scripture, your Abba wants to hear you cry. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, at exactly the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he could forgive your sin and remove any barriers between you and he. And now he has sent the spirit of that son, the spirit of Jesus himself, to live in your heart so that you can cry, Abba. Father, and when you cry to him, it's like the sweetest sound he has ever heard because it's us us acknowledging him as our father. When you believed the gospel, you got a father. You don't have to be silent anymore. You don't have to be alone anymore. You can cry. In fact, this morning, I get it's Mother's Day, you're hungry, we want to keep going, but I want to invite you, would you respond this morning? I want to give you permission to cry, to let those tears flow and let the Father love you. I want to give you permission to voice your fears to the Father that you've been stuffing away and pushing away. Would you let those go, let those out to him? And some of you have sworn that you would never share some things with other people. And I want to invite you, would you share those with your Father in heaven, your Abba, your dad who delights in you? You see, Jesus didn't just die so that we could mentally know some truths. Jesus died and he lives inside you now so that you can experience and feel the love of your Father. Would you pray with me? Let's invite this Father to speak to our hearts, to move in our hearts through his spirit and open us up to cry to him, to pour out our hearts to him. 
So right where you are, can I just invite you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him alone, can I invite you to do that even now? It's as simple as admitting that you have sinned, that you've pushed him away, but then believing that Jesus died for you in your place and committing your life to him. Would you give your life to Christ? And when you believe that gospel, you receive a father. And I want to invite all of us, whether you just began following Jesus or you've been following him for decades, this morning, would you give yourself permission to respond? I get it. It's mom's day. But we've got plenty of time. We're in no rush. Would you give your heart permission to respond? To cry to the Father? To voice your fears to him? And from your gut, ask him to love you. Ask him to show you his love. Oh, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Son, that you would be doing that even now. You'd be clearing headspace and opening up heart space so that we can respond to you. I pray that no one would leave here this morning without having cried to you, without having voiced their heart, their concerns, their desires to you. Father, would you keep moving and keep stirring?